Men's coach Dennis Moralda is the founder and CEO of Building Men, a movement dedicated to helping men become the strongest versions of themselves, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And he, with this like disgust in his eyes, he goes, they're right, they're right, you are a punk. And he walks out of my room, slams the door, and now I start to cry and my hands are shaking. Dennis is the host of the Building Men podcast, a motivational destination for real talk about purpose, mindset, relationships, connections, and the foundational building blocks to success. I'm in the middle of a divorce during COVID and school shut down and me working as a consultant and a coach, schools are not open. So my income dropped so significantly. There were several months, Gavin, where I was making zero money. Dennis used his background in adolescent development, sociology, and mental health to develop the framework for a social group to address what it meant to be a man in society. And my daughter's like, Daddy, the last couple of months, I've just noticed that the sun is in your face. The sun is in your face more all the time. And to me, it was one of those profound things that you hear from a kid and I'll never, ever forget. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan. Thank you for tuning in. So Dennis, I understand that building strong men is your business. That's what you're all about, building strong men. However, I'm interested in knowing about a time where things are perhaps falling apart for you. All the bricks maybe fell apart for you in your life and how you began to build yourself up to become a strong man in your life. Gavin, thanks for having me, man. And I appreciate you jumping right in. I love jumping right off the diving board into the deep end. Not We're going to take off the, the swimmies. We're not messing around. Jump right into it. So thank you for the opportunity uh, to be on The Modern Warrior. I've, um, I'm definitely a fan of what you're doing, and uh, this is definitely an honor. So thank you first and foremost for the opportunity. Yeah, I'll start. I'll go back in time a little bit. I know uh, likely a lot of the people that are listening have dealt with their own traumas and experiences in their upbringing as they're doing their best to build themselves up as strong men in society today. So I'll take you back to, uh, I was 12 years old. I was, uh, I grew up in central New Jersey, uh, on the East coast of the United States and typical upbringing. I had, um, I was a good athlete growing up, you know, friends were really important. I did typically, I, I did well in school, um, had a good relationship with my family. I'm the oldest of four. At the time, there was there were three of us. My younger brother Anthony, who's actually the co-host of the Building Men podcast with me, he wasn't he didn't come along yet. He was he's 14 years younger than me, which is a, a whole other story in my journey. But um, going back to that time in my life, I had a, a relationship with my father where a lot of the validation, a lot of the love, the support, the acceptance that I received from my father was around how well I did athletically. So if I performed on the court, on the field. Uh, I, I received more validation, more love, more affirmation from my father. So much so that he was the coach of my teams. And he was that coach that he took it easy on Billy and Timmy and Tommy. But when it came to me, he hit the ball a little bit harder. He threw it a little bit faster. And he was, you, you got you to gotta be even better because you're my kid, the coach's kid on the team. 
So that was always the backdrop. He always told me stories about his upbringing, what a good athlete he was, um, how important it was to be stronger than other than other kids. And he would get into all these fights growing up. He was the toughest kid in town. So this was a little bit of a backdrop. It was also if I did really well, if I hit a home run, my dad, I put his arm around me. He was really proud of me and the walk back to the car. But if I struck out a couple times of it bad, I missed I missed a ground ball. I fumbled the ball playing quarterback. I missed a shot. Then he he would berate me on the way home from the games, and he would. I had it really challenging, and I had a lot of crying home from from basketball, football, baseball games growing up. So I use that as a little bit of a backdrop to tell you about one of the big instances that that started my trajectory and and what I became as a man, and and how there were some negatives and some positives from it. So it was the spring of my sixth grade year, going all the way back to 1989, and I was a uh, sixth grade student, and I made the middle school baseball team which it was a big middle school, 1,200 kids, something along those lines. And for a sixth grader to make the middle school baseball team was unheard of. There were some teachers who said they'd never heard of a kid making this, the team at that time. So I made the middle school team and a couple of boys that I was friends with that I w- would hang around with in the neighborhood and play sports with got cut from the team. Three eighth grade boys got cut from the team. And eighth grade kids not really knowing how to deal with emotion in that way, they took it out on me. So I was the, I was the target for them not making the team because I was a younger kid making the team. And they started to pick on me. They started to make fun of me, the way that I looked. I, I'm a big guy. I'm 6'4", 220. My head at age 45 is the same like it was at 12. So they would make fun of me about how gigantic my head was at the time and that my teeth and my freckles, a whole bunch of different things. And then they started to really pick on me and, and shove me in the hallway and trip me and push me into lockers. And so I was really scared going to school at the end of my sixth grade year. And they would chase me home off the bus and beat me up. And uh, I got jumped a couple times. And so I use that as a backdrop to tell you there was one day I was going to baseball practice with my father and we're driving past these boys. And I'll still I can remember to, to this day. And Gavin, you know, things that you go back to in your life that have some kind of emotional residence, you can pick them up immediately and go back into that time like you're like you're watching a TV show. So we're driving past. And these boys yelled out as loud as they could, F you. I don't know if we could curse in a show, but F you, fuck you, they yelled and threw up the middle finger. And my father looks over at me, he goes, I thought you were friends with these boys, what's going on? And I didn't say anything, I was scared to death here. So he drives home, puts the car in park, tells me to go wait inside, and he walks up to talk to him. 10 minutes later, he comes back and it felt like an eternity. It felt like he was gone for two days. He, they can't, he comes back into my room and he goes, let's go. I arranged for you to fight Frankie one-on-one. And I froze. I mean, I tell the story now and the hair on the back of my neck stands up. I could still remember it. And I had never gotten to a fight before. My father, who was a tough guy, never taught me how to fight. He goes, let's go. You're going to go fight Frankie one-on-one. And I didn't move. And he stood there for a second and he, and he, he looks at me and he, with this like disgust in his eyes, he goes, they're right. They're right. You are a punk. And he walks out of my room, slams the door. And now I start to cry. And my hands are shaking. I could still remember what it felt like rubbing my hands on the carpet cabin. And then my mom walks in and I'm thinking, oh, thank God mom is here to like put her arm around me and tell me it's okay. You're just a kid. These kids are older than you. They're two years older than you. It's okay to be scared. And she goes, you just lost your best friend, your father. And she walks out of the room. So now in this short period of time, I've experienced bullying, verbal, physical bullying. And then my father walks out on me and basically tells me that I'm not worthy. And my mom tells me that I let her down and the, and the family down. So this was like tragic in my life. And the reason I'd start with this story is it changed how I started to show up. And I started becoming this seeker of approval, people pleaser that I didn't want to let people down. I felt like if I stood my ground in something, even though I was scared, 
I would be abandoned. And so this, this was a backdrop to a lot of what I did in my life. The story that I told myself was, this is the reason that I got into becoming uh, an educator. And I was a middle school principal for many years. And that was the story that I told myself, but truly, I didn't want to be abandoned and I didn't want to let people down. And I was really ashamed of, of myself for not standing up for myself in that situation. So that's one, that was one big moment in my life. Like when you said, where did that, where did it come from? That was one of the main stories, one of those core memories for me. How did that have a ripple effect on your life then? Well, I'll tell you, Gavin, it, it started with one, it, it had a positive ripple effect. And one reason I wanted to become a coach, a teacher, a mentor was to help young men, especially avoid situations like that. How can, what can I do to help, to make sure that no other kids go through an experience like that? So I went into education. I became first a, a sixth grade teacher. Started, I, I taught the same grade that I had that experience with. I coached varsity baseball. And then I went back to get my master's degree in sociology and administration, become a principal uh, in, in middle school levels, because I really wanted to help kids avoid situations like that. So that's one reason, one way it impacted me as far as a ripple effect. The other thing was in my personal life, I really showed up for many, many years as a shell of who I could potentially be because I avoided conflict. I avoided standing up for myself in situations. So I would go along with the crowd. There were a lot of many years that I didn't show up as an authentic me because I was afraid that if I did, I would be abandoned. And this is through years of coaching and therapy that I've gone through to come to this position and totally changed my life since then. But those are two distinct ways that it definitely had a ripple effect on me. So you have, you've got a few kids now. And if your son was in a similar situation, how would you approach that if he was being bullied? and you found out about it, what would your approach be? Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting. First time I've been asked that question, coincidentally enough. So one thing I would, I would really want to talk to him is, is how he felt right then and there. Like first I would normalize those feelings. What are you feeling right now? I wouldn't try to give him the answers. I, I do believe as, as adults too often we step in and we try to solve problems for kids at a young age when they are certainly capable of figuring things out for themselves. As, as an educator of educators, so a lot of what I do right now is I coach young men, I coach parents and I work with educators. I say kids have five developmental needs. They're the need for autonomy, that their voice is a part of the space, the need for competence to feel like you're good at doing things, the need for fun, the need for relationships and the need for safety. So if we're meeting those needs for kids and, and in this situation, I would look at all five of those needs. So I would want to make sure that his voice was a part of the space. How do you feel about what's going on here? Like, let's talk about it. How do you feel? So in this situation, do, do you want me to intervene? Do you want me to step in here? And if so, what does that look like to you? Um, because I want to honor what he's doing. The idea of competence, like, okay, do you want to go beat the shit out of this kid right now? Is that what, like, I will absolutely help you in that nature. So let's, let's take some boxing lessons. Let's, let's do jujitsu. Let's go through that process. So you feel good about yourself in that area. And I'd be building that relationship with him during it and then make sure that he feels safe that, he, that I have his back, knowing that I'm not going to let anything happen to him in a, in a really detrimental way. Do I think it's, it's okay for kids to fall down and bruise their knee and get picked back up again. Yeah, I do. So say if he gets into a fight and he gets his ass kicked and I'm like, all right, what'd you learn from that? Don't step into a left hook. All right, let's practice. Let's, let's not do that again. But more than anything, Gavin, I would want to normalize, like, it's okay to be scared, man. I've gone through it. I understand you're going through a lot right now and it's okay to be afraid and it's okay to, to want to get better at whatever, but to have that safe spot for him to talk to me, I think is one of the main things that I would make sure to do for my son. Mm -hmm. And what is your relationship? Or how was your relationship with your father after that instant? For many years, I, 
I stuffed that down. And I think as men, what we do is when those those tough emotions surface after that situation, he basically gave me the silent treatment for the next 30 days. He really didn't talk to me. The only time that he would bring up my name is he would say to my sister, who was two years younger, hey, Tara, I bet you would have kicked Frankie's ass. Dennis was afraid of him. So this is my younger sister. And imagine how that feels. So this is what I've what I've come to terms with, Gavin, is the way that he was raised was in a very toxic situation from his upbringing. He did the best that he could with what he had to give to me emotionally. He just didn't have the tools to, to father me in the way that I needed. And I've, what I did for a while was I stuffed it down and, and it would, it just it would simmered there. I didn't really do anything with it until it boiled over. And I could pick out a couple moments. There were three in particular over the course of the next 15 years that he would challenge me in some capacity. And then, like I mentioned, I'm a big guy. Once I started lifting weights and I, then we were face to face and we needed to be separated because he represented the bully in front of me right there. And there were a couple of times that we almost got into fist fights after that. So um, fast forward now, we've, we've definitely uh, reconciled over the years. I had opportunities to share with him my recollection of the events. He did the same to me saying, well, this is what I remember. And what I wanted to do was to teach you to be strong and to stand up for yourself and to go and fight and, and not to, to back down to a bully. And so we talked about, well, well, if we were to replay this again, how could we have done it differently, Dad? How could how could you have done this differently? So we've we've replayed the story, and now we're we're closer now. I'm 45 years old now, Gavin. And we're closer now than we have been ever in in the course of our lives together. Well, that's incredible. That's a journey that so many men of our generation would want to go on. I speak to men on this podcast, men who are in significant areas of their lives, leaders of men. And even myself included, who wish to have a better relationship with the father, but they do not know how to begin. I had one, I had one guy on the podcast here, uh, Lachlan Stewart. Lachlan's well known. Oh yeah, Lockie, the man, yeah, the man that can. <laughs> That's the man, or well, the man that can in, in many <laughs> many areas. But we spoke about his relationship with his father, and he he. He told me that he's only hugged his father maybe five times in his life, and it's something that it's it's something he wants to reconcile, but he doesn't know how. And I think a lot of us men are stuck in that situation. So I'm interested to know how you reconcile that relationship with your father, because it takes a lot of forgiveness to take the first step, and that's just the first step. Yeah, the the first step is the hardest step, and then the rest of the steps are tied for the second hardest step. For me, one one way that, that helped me overcome it was my relationship with my own son and really thinking about as a father, I do believe he, he was doing the best that he could with what he had in that situation. I was thinking, how would I feel as a father if I, if I made a mistake right now and my son exiled me and he ostracized me from his life right now and I made a mistake and I did the best that I could with what I knew at the time. So what I, what I did the best, the best of my ability was to take myself out of that situation. It did hurt me, but I said to myself first, he's hurting as well. So let me, let me put down my guard a little bit. And if I need to be the person to bridge the gap here with my father, um, what I started to do was ask him a lot of, of open-ended questions about his own upbringing, how he was raised by his parents. Um, there was a lot of, of abuse in his family. And so he always had to have his fists up ready to go. 
at a moment's notice. And that's the reason why he was, he was that way. So it helped me connect with him on a deeper level and helped him, it helped me understand who he was. And it helped me understand how to be a better father for my son and my, and my children as well um, in that capacity. And it was really emotional going through that. It's, uh, I would say within the last two years, it's the first time that my father ever told me that he loved me, ever told me that he was proud of me and hugged me and gave me a kiss. That was within the last two years of my life. Amazing, man. Yeah. That was quite powerful, I'm sure. And it's also something you've been longing for all your life, perhaps. Oh, yeah. His pride and his love. And then you, what you start to do is look for that elsewhere when you really need to go back. And and that that's what I was looking for, the validation from my father, feeling safe in a space, not feeling like I was going to be abandoned. And that turned into me showing up in a relate in relationships in a way that I needed that. It was like I was longing for that need to be met in relationships. And until I healed that, I was contributing a lot of of neediness and, and seeking of approval into relationships, not just with significant others, but with friends and with other people. And what I recognized was I needed to go back into that spot in my life and give myself what I needed as a 12-year-old kid. I needed to talk to that 12-year-old boy like, listen, it's okay to cry. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be nervous in this situation. Um, but you're a strong kid. You're a confident kid. You're capable of so many things in this world. Know that. And that's what I needed to hear. And so I was able to go back and work through those stories in my head. And it's crazy. And you hear it all the time. And I'm, I was never a fan of therapy. I was never a fan of coaching until I really went through it. And I recognized there's so much power here. There's so much power here. So for me, going through myself has helped me help other people that are going through similar situations. Yeah. Well, in, your, in, in that journey, and I can relate to it as well, you're having to compromise and suppress your own needs and wants and happiness in order to seek this validation or acceptance or love from others right. and all the while you're just losing yourself throughout the process and yep. it's a very isolated lonely place to be and you're speaking or we're speaking to a lot of men who are in that situation right now and they they're seeking this validation and love and other external sources porn affairs <sighs> relationships drink gambling all these things but understanding that you know what you're really looking for here is the acceptance or love from your father or from your mother or even coming to peace with the resentment or anger that you have towards them and beginning to see them as flawed traumatized pained individuals who were doing the best they could for you and then you can sort of change your perspective from anger to empathy Absolutely. Yeah, I call it like buffering. It's like you're using those things to buffer the feelings that you're unable to truly get in touch with. So you mentioned pornography, which is something that I absolutely like. That was something that I struggled with pornography. Um, without a doubt, drinking, overeating. Like I, there were so many things that I did to buffer the pain that I was experiencing, not only for my father, but previous relationships as well. And it's until you dig back, like you have to keep peeling back until you get to the why, like where, what's the root of this? If it's, if there's a garden there and you just go by with a weed whacker and cut down all the weeds with a weed whacker, they're going to grow back. You have to do the work and get your hands dirty and dig out the root or they're going to keep coming back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a very accurate analogy. So You've, you've talked about your son and your son offered that lesson or that insight in terms of your relationship with your father. So that's 
perhaps one big lesson that you've learned from your son or from your from your kids. I'm curious to know what other lessons you've learned from them that, that you've only been able to apply to your life by having children in your life, by being a dad. Yeah, and it's it's the biggest game changer in the world. There's a couple of people that I've had on the podcast that are just now going into the stage of fatherhood. And it's you truly don't understand like the the level of of significance that you have until you become a father. Like in my opinion, it was just such a game changer for me. So for me, and I don't know if we've, you know, you knew this about me or we talked about this. I was I'm divorced now. I was married for uh almost 17 years. My son is 17 years old now. And um, he has sisters that are 14 years old and 12 years old. So I was married for 17 years, went through a divorce um, during COVID. Uh, I think COVID shifted a million different things in the world. And I was going through a divorce during that time. And my professional life was in shambles at that time. I was a middle school principal for many years um, in education for almost 20 years. And I left public education to start working as a consultant and a coach working with school districts. And it was going really well until COVID. So now I get separated. I'm in the middle of a divorce during COVID and schools shut down and me working as a consultant and a coach schools are not open. So I, my income dropped so significantly. There were, there were several months, Gavin, where I, I was making zero money. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills for about three, three or four months in the middle of a divorce. And when you talk about, lessons that it, that I learned from from my kids and being a father I'm going to do my best to keep it together here during this the this description so I was um I was the, the house that that my married house that we were living in it was on the market and um we the the kids the market wasn't great at that time during covid again so the kids were were staying in the house and me and my ex so I would go and live with my younger brother Anthony like I mentioned, he's 14 years younger than me, a very humbling experience for three or four days while my ex was in the house with the kids. And then I would go back home and she would go and live with their parents for three or four days. So the kids had no transition whatsoever. They stayed in the house. So there, was, there wasn't a lot of transition up and down for them, um, which was, it, it, we made it work. We definitely made that situation work in the best interest of the kids. But then once the house sold, uh, my ex found a place pretty quickly. And for me, I, it was important for me to stay in the same town so they didn't have a lot of transition back and forth with what they were doing. And I I found a spot, but it needed a lot of work. So it was going to be about a two-month, three-month renovation on this house that I that I was going to move into. And so what I did was I moved in with my uh, – my sister had this little tiny bungalow down the shore in New Jersey. And it was about 60 miles away from my ex's house and where the kids were going to school pretty much. And so since it was virtual learning – I would pick the kids up and I had them every other week. And so we would take long rides together in the car. And during those rides, I would think I'm, I'm messing my kids up. I'm screwing my kids up. I can't believe that, you know, I wasn't able to make this work and I was really depressed and down. But what turned out happening was we, the, the conversations that I had with them were so impactful and so important. And so we turned it into the best, best scenario that we could so that we were living in this little tiny spot. It was two rooms, pretty much the four of us, they were doing virtual learning. I was working virtually. And so we would, we would drive 60 miles and we would take turns putting a song on the radio or on Apple music or whatever. And we would talk about what the song meant to us. And we would talk about, and that would lead into deeper discussions. And so what, what turned out happening was one, my relationship with my kids got even stronger. And two, they saw 
a man who was not going to be held back by what society was telling him that you need to stay in a, in a relationship that was not serving you that was almost abusive in some ways and they were able to see their father like take a risk and bet on himself for the betterment of the family and my relationship with my kids like i mentioned got so much better but my relationship with myself more importantly got so much stronger and i was like you know what i am capable of so much more than i was giving myself credit for my kids are in a better spot than they would have been seeing um you know really uh, traumatic home life and arguing back and forth. So they're seeing their father make the best of a difficult situation and then flourish after that difficult situation as well. So those are a couple of lessons I learned during that time for my kids. Powerful. You look back on the experience of the divorce and is there any regret there? It's one of those things where like, do I think that I contributed to to the divorce? Absolutely. I would never go in saying saying I didn't. But I think what happened too was I recognized that I was I was seeking out people in my life as far as relationships were concerned that I would show up as this people pleaser, seeker of approval guy, and that matched up with a different type of personality. And I also recognize the person that I am now would not have been with their mother. Like that's the, the person that I am now that I really needed to become. So what it did was, do I regret like, you know, there was some pain involved with it. But for me, I, I'm a better human being now after like coming out of that situation. I feel like so many men feel like they're trapped. I don't ever advocate like, hey, go into a marriage thinking you're going to get a divorce. And that was what that was my mo for so many years i can't believe they couldn't just work through it but having gone through it and seeing how it, like that like seeing negativity how it impacted my kids in a really pervasive way i'm so much better on the other end my kids absolutely are and i believe that their mom is as well so while i do like wouldn't i want to like tell people to go through it i wouldn't but if you're in a situation where there's no other way out i do believe it's okay yeah the reason i bring that question up is because Divorce rates are obviously quite high at the moment. However, a lot of these men who are in the, let's call it manosphere, and who are married, often promote the often promote the effort that marriage requires in order to keep it alive and to keep and to stay together. And many of these people have been on my podcast and you know we'll we'll speak about, you know, you've you've got to you've got to show up. And you've got to try every single fucking thing you can before you make a decision to walk out the door. So that's why I bring that question up with you in terms of like, do you feel that there was anything left to do or several, several years of therapy. And this it tracks back more than a decade when the, when the process started of, of working on it, um, you know, and, and to me, you know, when there's, when there's a situation where, there's abuse in a relationship like more like psychological and emotional abuse in a relationship and you you feel like you're absolutely crazy for everything that you're doing and then also when there's infidelity in a relationship it's it takes it to another level in my opinion so um not something that i, that I typically speak about but since you're asking like those are those are big things to me and and also it's it's something like one in one in four one in five men um, are the victims of some type of abuse in a relationship. And when I think about that, I'm thinking, well, how many don't ever say anything about it? Like how many men are, are, are ashamed to, to say that, that 
it was an abusive situation. And again, I, I'm, I was coming from this people pleaser way that I just went along with whatever I needed to go along with to make her happy. And I was like losing myself in the process. It's difficult to speak about now. Um, and I would never get involved in with another, like in another relationship that anything that was similar to that in any capacity. So I understand. I mean, a lot of the podcasts I go on, everyone says it's the guy's fault if it doesn't work out and you do everything you possibly can to make it work. And I think that that, that works you know, 90% of the time, but I do feel like there are outliers to that. It's not a blanket statement. And I do believe I, I was in a situation that was an outlier to those rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We often talk about having to leave things and people behind in order to reach the next level in our lives. And you, I, I get this belief in a way that you would not be where you are today if you didn't let go of that marriage, if you didn't let go of her. 100% agree with that. Yes. So it was an absolute necessity and it's a brave move as well, because so many men just succumb to the difficulties of marriage and stay in there for all the wrong reasons for the children. And you've got three kids. I'm sure that was something that kept you in there for perhaps longer than was needed. Many, many years. Mm. Yep. Absolutely. And it's interesting too. I, I, on my son's 17th birthday, I interviewed him on the podcast. It was like March 30th or something like that. Episode 129, 130, something along those lines. And we get right. I'm so real on the podcast. Like, you know, I, I throw it all out there. There's no, I'm not sugarcoating anything. It's an open book. And we talk, it was cool interviewing him. He was born the year that I started the Building Men program when I was a principal. And I could talk about the origin of that program. So going back to its origins, having him as a guest on the podcast, and then he was a co-host for a couple of the episodes as well. I basically asked him about the experience going through a divorce as a kid. And he was he's very open and honest about what he went through and how how it manifested in his own life. But then he was like, you know what? I see I've come out the other side and you hear all these stats about kids. He said, I think what happens is one of the parents goes away. He said, you have been such a force in my life during the last two years, especially like we're closer now than we've ever been. And I asked him, I said, is there anything that I, sh that I could have done differently that would have made it easier for you? And he said, it's, you've been perfect. You've been great for me as a father. So that was the evidence for me that, and I told him, I said, you could rip me up right now. I said, feel free. You're not in trouble or whatever. And it was, it was a powerful moment for me, but that's where I recognized that the things that I went through helped my kids see me in a better light, but they're also seeing themselves in a better light that they don't have to take something that's not serving them. They don't have to, they don't have to settle in their life. They can, they can achieve so much more than maybe even people think that they're able to. Mm. Did you feel like you were letting your kids down in that situation? Because as you've identified, it's been a continual pattern in your life to make sure other people were happy and make sure that you were showing up for others and making sure they were okay. So was that, did you need that reassurance from your son to, to, to validate that within yourself that you made the right decision and that they were okay? Uh, so, yeah. So I, when the moment happened, when, you know, when we told the kids about the divorce, uh, that was, it was so challenging for me. I mean, I had so many sleepless nights, so many tears being shed during that time. And I mentioned the, the rides with my kids um, one thing my daughter said to me, my youngest said to me, she was probably 10 at the time. So she's 12 years old now. She's going into seventh grade. What she said to me at the time is I remember we're driving, the sun is in our faces. We're driving down to the beach. And I remember going to pull down the visor 
and we were talking about the sun in our faces. And I said, you know, the sun in your face is one of those things where sometimes the sun's in your face and you squint and it's a, it's bothering you and you want to put on a hat or sunglasses or put down the visors. And there's other times that the sun is in your face and you want to just bask in it. You want to say, wow, this, I love this feeling of warmth and the, you know, I'm, I'm here to, to breathe the air to see another day. And my daughter's like, daddy, the last couple months, I've just noticed that the sun is in your face. The sun is in your face more all the time. And to me, it was one of those profound things that you hear from a kid and I'll never, ever forget how I felt in that moment. And that to me was the first moment where I was like, you know what? It's going to be okay. This is, it's going to be okay. I could, I could tell that the way that the changes that I made and how I'm living my life now, my kids are picking up on, on how I'm leading them and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Well, as you said, it's allowed you to become a better man, which means you become a better dad for them, which means they become yep. children and better adults in their life too. So yeah, well done, man. I know that's quite moving for you. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Yes. And just on that topic as well, I've seen a very interesting post yet up there on your Instagram recently about being a lighthouse for your kids. Could you tell us about that? Yeah. So we were down in, on vacation in the Outer Banks in North Carolina, and we, we passed, um, it's the tallest lighthouse um, in the United States, I believe. And the lighthouse was moved from its initial location to where it is right now. It was moved, I think, five or 600 yards. And so I'm standing in amazement of this lighthouse, and I started to think about our role as parents. And a lot of the work that I do right now is with parents of, of especially teenage kids. That's my experience in education. And I started to analogize our role we, if our kids are going through something challenging, it's not our job to take over. Like say they're in, they're steering a ship in the water and it's it could be treacherous. It's not our job as parents and it, it's quite opposite. It's a detriment if we do one of two things. We let them do it all by themselves. Like, go ahead, good luck, kid. Or we get in the boat and we say, sit down, I'm gonna steer for you right now. I'm gonna, I'm gonna navigate through these difficult waters and not give you the opportunity. Instead, what we need to do is stand near them, be a lighthouse for them. So show them the path, shine the light on what's, on what's challenging, shine the light on a path that they can go to find that, but let them steer the ship. Let them be the ones to steer the ship. Because if we don't, one of two things happen. If we don't let them do things for themselves, if we don't let them struggle, if we don't let them fall down, fail and then persevere they have no idea what they're possibly capable of they're, they're they're going through this their their life in a very coddled way or they're going to to push back against us if we're not there at all to 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 steer the show or to to show the light of what they're going to do so you weren't there for me you didn't help me out through things or you smothered me and you were so so on top of me in situations like this when i was a middle school principal gavin i would I would talk to parents and I would beg them, listen, let your kid fail. Let them get a bad grade. They didn't do the work. Let them get the F on the assignment. Don't come in and argue that the teacher didn't give them enough time. Say, you know what? Billy didn't do the work. Billy gets the failing grade here. Billy will learn. I'm either going to pick myself up and get better at it, or I'm going to suffer the consequences of whatever the grade was, or a, a social situation with a peer or with a teacher. Let them fail. Be there to support them. Show them the, the way. Give them some advice. Let them ask you questions. Ask them questions about the process, but don't solve their problems for them. You're doing such a disservice for your kids. So that's where that Lighthouse post came from. Yeah. I think a lot of parents lead by fear, don't they? Not love. 
Absolutely. They're afraid of like, what? oh, I'm going to raise a kid who can't do this or, or might embarrass me in some way. Or, you know, they're so worried about their kid falling down and getting hurt. Jordan Peterson says it this way. He goes, it's so important for us. We need to let kids do dangerous things carefully. Let them climb on the jungle gym. Let them stand on the swing set. And if they fall down, they're going to be like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. But if they don't, then they're like, okay, I believe in myself a little bit more. I'm capable of maybe something that I didn't know that I could possibly do before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Jordan's the man. <laughs> so what are some of the lessons that you want to teach your kids? We're sort of on that topic of being a leader, yeah. being a guide. Is there other lessons in there that you are now applying to your fatherhood for your kids to become strong, resilient, confident, capable adults, independent adults? Absolutely. And I'll take this back to lessons that I would work with kids in the Building Men program. So Building Men started all the way back in 2005. It was my first year as um, a middle school administrator. I was an assistant principal. My background was in sociology and education. And when I was studying sociology, I needed to do an internship at a place. It was almost a halfway home for at-risk kids. Most of them were young men. So I got some experience working as a group and individual counselor with kids that were there because of the court system or because they were abused. So I really started to understand how do you work with kids in that capacity. So fast forward to me becoming an assistant principal, I recognized right away as soon as I started all the problems in the school with the boys. They were getting in fights, coming to school late, Get, being disrespectful to the teachers, failing grades, you 90% of the things that I was dealing with, Gavin, were with the boys in the school. So I said, I need to do something about this. I need to, I need to come up with some kind of a program to help these boys because I saw how that impacted kids that were going through something really challenging. I said, if I can get to them before they get to that point, think of how much better they're going to be in society if I do that. So I started a group called Building Men, and it was, it was a boys' social group, and I met with – it was pretty much all the boys in the school, but in groups of 20 or 25 – and we would sit in a circle and we would look each other in the eye. We would shake hands like we're meeting our boss or our girlfriend's parents. And we would talk about real stuff. And Gavin, the, the, first thing, the first thing I asked him is, what do you think a man is? Tell us about what does it mean to be a man in your eyes? And the way that I was raised growing up, I mentioned my relationship with my father. This is probably a lot of guys at our age were things that we valued. First, it was the muscles, the, the, you were bigger, you were faster, you were stronger, you could physically dominate. You were the toughest guy that meant you were a man. And then it was how many girls you would sleep with, how many girls or how hot were the girls that you were with. So I remember in high school, like, oh, he just got with Brittany. He is the man. Oh, man, he, he banged five girls this year. He is the man. Like that became a thing, a status symbol with the number of girls you can, quote, unquote, accumulate. Like they were a, a possession. And then finally, it was about how much money you had and how many things you had, the sneakers, the car, the house. And so I grew up, those things were important to me based on my, like, this is the things that my father was telling me when I was growing up. And this is what these boys thought. So I said, I need to help them understand. And this is, I'll, I'll turn it back to the question. What are some lessons that my kids needed to learn that I would, that I was hopefully teaching them through my experience was, listen, don't base for the boys, your masculinity on things that can potentially be taken away that are superficial in nature. What we need to do is peel back the layers and say, let's, let's base our masculinity on things that are intrinsic, that are internal, that no one could ever take away. So let's base it on our relationship with other people. Let's base it on our integrity. Let's base it on self-discipline. Let's base it on being accountable for actions. And, and finally, like, let's base our masculinity 
on doing something in service of another human being so perhaps someone could breathe easier because you existed on this planet. Those things can never be taken away from you. You can't break your leg and, and like if I, all of a sudden, if my dick doesn't work tomorrow, guess what? I can still be a man in service of other people. I can still be a man of char character. I could still be, be self-disciplined. Those are things that can never be taken away. So those were lessons that I taught those boys in building men 17 years ago now. And those are the lessons that I still hold so true that I, that I, teaching to my kids now mm -hmm. and what's your opinion on toxic masculinity is that even a thing yeah i mean here's the thing i mean i just think there's there's there there are there's masculine men that are toxic i just feel like they're toxic people all over the world i feel like like combining it together is the new like fad right now and, and mas masculinity is almost a bad word in and of itself so i believe that that there are just horrible men out there i believe that there are men out there my I, the way i was raised was was in a toxic masculine way like i was raised trying to value those things so i do believe that there are total assholes out there that are having some influence by saying you know treat girls disrespectfully and there are men out there that are saying like take whatever you want and and i think that there's two ends of the spectrum right now gavin and i see there's this one end of the spectrum that there's this ultra red pill kind of thing like you walk in you know with you know the the axe over your shoulder you just killed the the wild boar and you walk in and you say where's my beer bitch sit down shut up and spread your legs like there's that guy and there's all on the other end of the spectrum there's the guy that's like walking behind his wife and he's like honey what do you want to do tonight i'll do whatever you want to do let me hold your purse with a dog in it and let like i'll brush your hair and i'll tell you how they're both disgusting to me on either ends like so to me it's important to stay in the middle like okay i want to be strong i'm going to take care of myself i'm going to to command respect because of the person i am not just because i have a penis like I'm going to come and be, but that is who I am as a human being. So I want to be steadfast. I want to be strong. I want to be a leader, but I also understand I want to be vulnerable too. through this podcast. Like I shed tears during this. Like I'm okay with saying, listen, here's my shit. Here's the stuff that I've been through. I am not perfect. I'm a, I'm a flawed human being, but I'm working on it. I'm, I'm okay with sharing my story and asking for help when I need it. So I believe it's like what we need to do is, is help men understand like it's okay to be in that middle ground, that middle space, not all the way on one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah. You don't have to go ahead and kill a boar to be a man. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. There's, yeah, there's a lot of that going on at the moment. And I do talk about a bit, a bit and, and my belief is that the toxic masculinity label is causing men to suppress their masculinity and therefore it's expressed then in more toxic ways mm -hmm. true yeah, coming all the way back you're absolutely right gavin here's the thing like th there's a term for women who believe in that in empowering women like there's a term feminist right and like a tr truly like it, it, i'm perfectly okay like if you are a woman and you want to empower other women absolutely i think that's that's amazing but it, as long as you're not doing that by saying men are evil and men are the devil like it's me saying like i'm proud to be a man i love supporting other men but there's not a term of like masculinism like feminism there's not the same thing so if you believe in supporting other men it's already seen as something bad, which I don't believe it is. I think it's so important because what you said, there's so many men that don't feel like they have an outlet. So they go all the way in one direction. They feel like they have to show up in this super aggressive way to prove that they're a man 
in some capacity. But I do believe we need to, men need to have outlets for things like that. We are more aggressive in nature. We are more stoic in nature. Even the way our brains work, men and women, our brains work. And when I work with parents of kids, I help them understand this. Like for, for a man, the way our brain works when we're, we're, we're dealing with, especially with something emotionally, I picture it as like a room or a garage or something like, all right, I know that the bikes are going to go over here. My lawn equipment is going to go over here. The baseball bats are going to go over here. And this is where the drop costs are going to go for the painting equipment. And I'm like, if I'm dealing with emotional, I could go pick it up from this area and I could go put it back there. It's not all connected together where I believe women's brains and the feminine brain works. It's like one strand of yarn that's all connected together. So all the emotion works intertwined so they can be feeling something and be feeling seven other things at the same time. And it's connected where men, there's totally disconnected and which is fine. That's how our brains work. So it's okay as men to be masculine and to understand that's the way that we process things is going to be totally different from women. And one of the great things about our world is men and women are not the same. We're very different and we we're there to support each other in that dichotomous way. Yeah. But I think as well, what happened is that we've been brought up in a very feministic way, if that's even a term, because, yep fathers were often absent from the family homes we were brought up and in schools as well brought up by female teachers brought up by our mothers aunties grandmothers so we're taught to behave or act or live in accordance to their wishes commands expectations values so i think that's a big part too absolutely and think about i mentioned in education most young men are brought up in an education system where they are um, primarily instructed by female teachers for most of their educational career. And what do you hear in schools? You hear, get in line, sit down, close your mouth, raise your hand, walk down the hallway, don't run, don't play. And as men, as young men, we need these things. We need movement. We want to be able to express ourselves in more of an assertive, aggressive way. But we're put into this little box and, and the school system in general, and I could talk for five hours about the school systems and all the problems there as a, as a former middle school principal, they're not serving boys. Like schools are not set up for boys to find success in that capacity. So for me, doing that building men program, I was for some, for some of these young men that didn't have fathers, that had all female teachers, I might have been the only man that they talked to over the course of a week. And for me to provide that level of one connection, two mentorship, and then three, this space for, for young men to be boys and, and to talk about real things. We talked about anything and everything, Gavin, as I am talking with you right now, but I also, I taught him how to tie a tie. I taught him how to change a tire. I taught him how to jump a car using jumper cables to jump a car. I, there's no way I should have been doing these things as a principal. I mean, definitely would have gotten fired if people found out about that. But if, if I was the only man in their life, like who else was going to teach them these things? So I was, I'm going to take on that role right now and help them out as a father figure. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. So it brings me back to my school days where a lot of my t teachers were females, but we had this, we had this one English teacher and we would have a, a two hour lecture or class and for the majority of that class we spoke about football <laughs> that was it and yeah and then we all we all did our uh did our one of our final exams and we all failed so <sighs> then he's like oh shit i better, uh, better start teaching these these kids so it was it was the mock exams so it was the exam exams before the the real exams before he leaves school so luckily he uh yeah, he he got a sorted for the exams, but that was it. And that was it was such a it was such a relief going into that class and 
just speaking about things that were related to boys and men. I never actually thought about that until you, you spoke about it today. And, and here's the thing that you, you were able to retrieve that memory really quickly because you had an emotional experience. You had a connection with another person, especially a man in that situation. And you felt like someone was hearing you, someone was listening to you. And in education, I feel like what we fail to do is give kids experiential type things, something that they're interested in. So th that what you learned in that class was probably more important than learning whatever the English bullshit that you were going to learn during that time or whatever you were going to learn in, in a science class or it's the experience that you're having. So I, I, I do believe we need to rework how we're working in education, especially for the young men in our society. But the true learning happens when you're able to have an experience and there's an emotion attached to it. You're starting to let different parts of the brain fire together. And that's when, that's when it sticks. That's when those things become long-term memories for you. Mm -hmm. And you have all your kids in school? Although you, you I do. And that's, again, if I were to go back in time and redo the last 15 years of my life, I would have chosen to homeschool my kids in some capacity. And I, I, they were, by the time that I went through the divorce, they were so far into it. For them, it, that would be a traumatic experience to pull them out of school. They're so ingrained in what they're doing right now. But if I were to start over again, I would figure out a way to take them out of public school education and find a way to, to educate them through my own experiences and, and give them experiences. Listen, if, for my kid, I'd be like, what are you really interested in right now? And my son actually wants to go into engineering architecture. Like that's where he is. When he was a little boy, he would take apart the Legos and he would like create Lego books on how to create things before he could like knew how to read and write. He was making like architectural design, like ideas of how to create a bridge or something. So if I knew that that was his propensity, I'd be like, listen, we're going to go talk to someone who's in architecture right now. You're going to go, when you're older, ment uh, do an internship with someone who's, who's in this. He's going to learn a lot more in that than sitting in a class for 180 days when three quarters of that time is wasted time anyway. Yeah, true. Nothing related to architecture. Yep. So, so and, and is that what you're helping them with? So they're in school, but are you there to also understand that this doesn't have to be the way? You don't have to follow this system. Yes, you've got to school and go to your class and get the grades or whatever, but don't take it so seriously. Is that the approach? What I my approach with my kids right now is whatever you're going to do, do it to the best of your ability. Like if you have if you have ten talents to give in an area, give all ten talents. If there's an area that you only have four talents to give, give those four talents and whatever it is. So give it 100% of your ability in whatever area it is. So if you're in school and you have something coming up, don't half-ass it. Like you're, as a human being, give what, like you do your best in that situation. But I'm also, they, they understand like school is a game. It really is a game. Like if you know how to play that game, you can get good grades in school if you really put your mind to it. But I also tell them, I don't check their grades at all. There are some parents and it's all available online right now where you can, I remember as a principal, there would, and I could see when, when, parents were checking grades, they would check grades like seven times a day. I haven't looked at my kids' grades in the last seven years. I'll talk to them about it. Like, how's it going in school right now? I don't look at the report card. And they're all doing phenomenally well. They're all doing really well in school. But to me, it's, it's about giving everything that you have in a situation. And then don't be afraid to push back. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you see something that's not going right in the, in the school or whatever, I don't like if I get called down to the office and they say that you had a disagreement and, and you were pushing back against the teacher for whatever capacity, as long as you weren't disrespectful. But if you have a disagreement and you're and you're standing up for yourself, I will stand up for you as well. So don't take any shit like that. More than anything, be a good human being. What can you do in that school to help the school community? Can you help other people? Can you do something to give back? Um, those are the life lessons with my kids in school right now. And they all, um, they're all involved in athletics and they like to, you know, they're, they're all involved in different sports and they, they're so ingrained in that school community right now. It just, it wasn't the time, but if I were to do it over, that would be something I would do is, is do some, some capacity of homeschooling for my kids. Yeah. It's interesting that you don't check their grades. I think that gives them the freedom to fail, doesn't it? And it's like, it's okay. We've got, we've got freedom here to take a risk and it's not going to be, it's not going to mean that daddy's not going to love us anymore. He's not going to accept us or he's going to be highly critical. So. Yeah, absolutely. And what it did for my kids too, is because I'm not constantly checking their grades or even like I I asked them, like, tell me about something that happened in school today. Tell me about one great thing that happened in school. Tell me one thing that you struggled with. Tell me one thing you learned in school today or one thing you want to learn tomorrow. What it did for my kids was it started to help them be more curious outside of what was going on in the school. So they're all, they all play sports. They're all, you know, they, they have a lot of friends in this net, but they've all become readers as well. So now they're, especially my son is now picking up a lot of the books that I talk about on the podcast, Um, but they've all become voracious readers and they're going to learn more by reading good writing than they are by sitting and taking a, a, like a grammar test in English class. Yeah, for sure, man. Daz, this has been fucking epic. I've really enjoyed the conversation with you. Oh, me too, man. You're, I just wanted to give you credit, like the conversation you you wove me down a path that I did not expect to go on and you made it very comfortable for me to share emotional type things. So I, I truly appreciate what you're doing and from a podcast host to another, well done, my man. I appreciated it. Well, thank you, man. That means a lot. I've been I've been working on it. So I appreciate that, man. And um, hopefully I've brought you back on that path and you're feeling a bit better now. You're not, you're not still oh, without a doubt. I felt like you gave me a virtual hug. I felt yeah. like a big hug. Yeah. You're, not, <laughs> you're still down that dark path. I brought you back. That's good, man. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been brilliant. And obviously I love your work and that's why you're here today. So for everyone listening to this podcast, where can they find you and see the good work you're doing? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity to, to share that. So I'm most, in, um, most, um, active on Instagram, building.men. Um, my website is buildingmen.io and something that's coming up that's really cool that I'm excited about is a program we're calling the foundation and it's a virtual young men's coaching group. I'll start it up in the middle of September and it'll be two zoom meetings a month uh, with me and my younger brother. And each month will be a, a specific topic that we'll discuss accountability, self-discipline, uh, physical fitness, finance, technology, and we'll go in different areas and we'll have one guest mentor come on a month that's that's an expert in that area to talk to the young men as well so we have a group for middle school and a group for high school and um, we're really excited to to roll that out in september and thank you for the opportunity to uh, to share that out there truly appreciate it that's brilliant man well thank you for the good work you're doing because i know that many 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 teenagers need that right now yeah absolutely thank you my man until next time stay strong thank you for tuning in to another episode of the modern warrior podcast if this episode has added value to your life please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, 
stay strong and keep fighting the good fight. <laughs>